Hospitality would suggest not only being friendly when they show up, but extending the invitation. In spite of what we might be doing, coffee and donuts, great, um, don't feel welcome. And we don't even know they don't feel welcome till we call them up. This is a conversation between Archbishop William E. Laurie and Dr. Susan Timoney about the Archbishop's most recent pastoral letter, A Light Brightly Visible 2.0. Dr. Timoney is a professor at the Catholic University of America, expert on evangelization, and an author, most recently, of a book on the formation of pastoral councils. Archbishop Laurie, thank you for taking this opportunity um, to engage in conversation with me and with the pastoral workers of the Archdiocese on um, being able to break open a little bit of light brightly visible. And as I was reading through it, it really brought to mind that this is a conversation you and I have had, particularly over the 30 years almost, that we've had a chance to collaborate um, with one another, particularly in programs that helped um, parishes think about what it means to be a light brightly shining in the community and also the formation of lay people to be protagonists mm -hmm. in this mission of evangelization. And, and so it's a delight to have an opportunity to, to think a little bit about what has the church learned in this almost now 40 years of conversation um, toward this understanding of a a new evangelization, a renewal of the evangelizing mission of the church. Well, Susan, first of all, let me uh, express my thanks to you uh, for participating in this pastoral staff day. Um, the phrase had been newly coined. Mm -hmm. um, we began uh, sort of uh, contemplating uh, how could we take this vision that, that the church gave us uh, 30 plus years ago and make it live in our parishes yeah. and among our people. And uh, so today I am just delighted to have the opportunity uh, not to begin a new conversation, but to extend the conversation we've been having a long time. Indeed, indeed. What's new about the new evangelization? It was new methods, new ardor, the Pope, Pope John Paul II presented, I, I think, a vision. But what is always new about the new evangelization is the newness of Christ. It's the newness of the one who, whenever we live, whatever, wherever we live, who loves us like no other, uh, who gazes into our depths like no other. The one who says, see, I make all things new. And when he gazes at us and we respond, not just as individuals, but as parish communities, we are made new. And I think that since the Second Vatican Council and the Papal Magisterium, since the council has been urging us, cajoling us, begging us, <laughs> pleading with us to open our hearts to this newness that is Christ, this Savior who makes all things new. 
And so evangelization is always going to be new because Christ is always new and because as the world progresses, there will always be new pastoral challenges and the, the, the both clergy and laity have to figure out what is their part mm -hmm. in communicating the newness that is Christ and celebrating it and having as many people as possible open their hearts uh, to the presence and gaze and word and sacrament of the one who loves us like no other. Yeah, I mean, it really is absolutely an invitation to a relationship, right? It's, it's not a program. Not a program. <laughs> and, and I think that this is, um, you, that newness um, is not only a call to a deeper relationship on the part of the pastor with his people and the pastoral staff with the people they serve, but also hopefully the people to whom um, they're, they're extending this invitation to an encounter. That's right. And, and and if I just to highlight what you said and what I, I believe so firmly, evangelization is not a program. Yeah. Nothing wrong with programs. Right. Programs can help. They're like tugboats mm -hmm. that are helping guide the ship in and out the harbor. But evangelization begins with the encounter with the person of Christ, mm -hmm. meeting Christ at a deep level experiencing the Lord's love for us and for our community. And in that personal encounter, the door is open mm -hmm. for the communal encounter. But there's no way to shortcut that encounter. If you don't have that encounter, um, the vibrancy, the joy, the uh, mission-centeredness, of the community won't be there, which is why I think um, everything has to be rooted in prayer and reading scripture, certainly as individuals, but as parish staff and the community uh, at large. I really want to pick up on that because I do a lot of work with diocesan and parish pastoral councils. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas we spend a lot of time talking about is the, the work of pastoral planning, the work of how, what kind of encounter, what kind of invitation can we extend, um, needs planning. But it's not strategic planning the way lots of people are familiar with because it's the kind of thing they do on their jobs or as part of other organizations mm -hmm. that they're a part of. And I think you've woven prayer and the need for prayer through every piece of this plan, mm -hmm. which accentuates that it's a specific kind of planning because who, who we are. As, um, as a parish community. And so could you talk a little bit more about the distinction between pastoral planning and, and the other kinds of strategic mm -hmm. planning that people are very familiar with? Sure. Um, if we were peddling intellectual property, if we were um, peddling therapy, mm -hmm. if we were peddling um, the programs and services we offer, whether it's education or social services, um, we would be well advised simply to do straight corporate planning mm -hmm. because it works <laughs> for an awful lot of um, corporate entities mm -hmm. that, that do it well, but that's not what we're doing. 
I think it was Father Peyton who said, the family that prays together stays together. Well, the parish and the parish leadership that prays together stays together. When you've prayed, mm -hmm. spent time, and I mean things like Eucharistic adoration, I mean quiet time with the scriptures, uh, I mean um, listening deeply uh, to the Lord, because what we're really doing is not just planning, but discerning. Mm -hmm. Discerning how you take the newness of Christ with the ever-changing situation of a parish community and bring them together in a way that will, in fact, be an event for people, a life-changing event, an event that will give their lives the new direction. I absolutely believe that discernment also, because it's an authentically Christian activity, then helps people to see what they can find in the church, right, that they can't find anywhere else. That's so true. And there's something else the church brings to this that um, no other planning <laughs> entity does, and that's an understanding of the human person. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean um, a moralistic understanding. I mean understanding that at the heart of the person is an inbuilt desire for the eternal and the infinite and for a boundless love mm -hmm. that's expressed in all kinds of ways but isn't really engaged with what it's looking for, if that makes any sense. Yes. So, Jasani, uh, Monsignor Jasani, you asked the question, he, he came across a couple uh, in Milan mm -hmm. in a car making love. And it must have been a summer night and the window must have been open. He was dressed in his cassock. And he said to them, excuse me, but what you're doing right now, what does it have to do with the stars? Because they must have thought he was crazy. But what he meant was, what does this have mm. to do with your yearning for the infinite and the eternal right. and the boundlessly pure love that we find mm. in Christ. That's really how we have to look at the people we serve. If we look at them as, well, we got these, or these are conservatives and these are liberals right. and these are, everybody has this inward yearning. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is to appeal to that. You know, it, it, to me that's so true, right? The church knows what is the deepest yearning of the human heart. And I think this kind of language, this kind of experience would seem so new to people in terms of what their perceptions of the church may or may not be. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned in this discernment process, there's sort of an ever-widening circle of people we involve in the discernment because this work of helping people encounter the risen Christ certainly isn't only the work of yourself as the archbishop or your pastors and your deacons, but it really is of all baptized people. And I think the part of the um, plan, which may be, or the vision, which may be so 
challenging for people is this idea that every baptized person is co-responsible. Um, I think this is very good language because it says something different than just, well, we need collaborators, because mm -hmm. that sounds sometimes like a fancy name for a volunteer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but to say that we're co-responsible for this mission is also an invitation for people to say, I, I need to be a protagonist mm -hmm. in whatever circle the Lord has placed me in. So can you talk a little bit more about your hope for people deepening their sense of their own co-responsibility mm -hmm. and, and how you're practicing it um, as the Archbishop with the part that you're responsible for and what your hope is, mm -hmm. particularly for pastoral teams and then for parishioners with those teams? Sure. So. We're still trying, struggling to live out the Second Vatican Council. But in its decree on the laity, it, and other documents as well, it makes clear that by dint of baptism, um, there is the laity, every baptized mm -hmm. uh, Christian, uh, receives a call to holiness, to participate in the life of the Trinity, but also uh, a call to participate in the mission of Christ. And that comes um, not because you've been tapped by your pastor or your, mm -hmm. or your bishop, um, but because you're baptized, because you have this, you're already inserted into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you are already able to say with St. Paul, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And already Christ wants to deepen that relationship with, with each person and then speak to that person. Oftentimes this happens in the family. Uh, we call it the domestic church, don't we? Yeah. And who are the evangelizers but mom and dad? In other words, um, lay persons move in circles that clergy probably seldom move in, or many religious. Mm -hmm. And so if the gospel is going to be brought into these sectors of the culture, it's going to be brought by laity. Mm -hmm. And not because they recite the catechism to people, but because having encountered the Lord, they are a kind of presence. And their presence bespeaks their relationship with the Lord and their faith. And when you're known to be a serious Catholic, people will ask you. The door will be open and the opportunities will be there to evangelize. And again, not in a moralistic or preachy way, but in an invitational way. Um, same is true with friends and acquaintances. I mean, I've often said, um, you know, the, the early martyrs went into the stadium and, you know, got eaten alive by <laughs> leopards. Um, today, it, it might be going to a dinner party as a committed Catholic, and you're known to be the committed Catholic mm -hmm. in the room, and everything that's perceived to be wrong about the church will redound upon you. A second thing is having a sharp spiritual eye 
for charisms. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit is giving laypersons all kinds of beautiful charisms. And it takes a prayerful pastoral team to help a person recognize that he or she has a beautiful charism that ought to be put at the service of the broader community. I think these are really important things uh, to do. Now, that having been said, where would the church be without the army of volunteers mm -hmm. that do things? And I think that what we owe to them uh, is not telling them exactly how to do it, saying here's the recipe, but more a sharing of experience, um, a sharing of what we found out in the ministry and putting beautiful, good resources uh, in their hands and hearts. I think it's that kind of work that um, a parish staff uh, inspired by a pastor committed to the new evangelization can and should be doing. I, I really like the way that you've articulated the twofold responsibility. On the one hand, I think we really underestimate the witness that we give to people because of a sense of hope, right? Because of a sense of being able to trust the Lord. Um, and then on the other hand, sometimes we really are called to not have to repeat the catechism or know every, you know, uh, best answer from the catechism, but to say, this is how I experience it. And this is how I believe. So we need that combination, right? Of both witness and sometimes called uh, to, to articulate mm -hmm. so people can more deeply understand yeah. and to help people be aware of their charisms. Um, we just had Catechetical Sunday and I feel like it's in so many parishes this is the time when there's such a desperation for catechists, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you just say we need anybody. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a great example, right, where if we, um, if we recognize the gifts that make for a good catechist. How nice to be able to extend that invitation and, and for people to see that they're being uh, called, right? That right. this is a way they're being called to respond to the Lord. And What I think has to happen is that all the time, not just when you're trying to get your programs together, exactly. there has to be this sharp eye looking mm -hmm. for the charisms and the gifts, also gifts of nature and grace, mm -hmm. and creating um, a culture of participation. Mm -hmm. uh, the Synod is talking about communion, participation, and mission. Communion meaning uh, feeling that we are one with the Lord and one with one another in the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Participation meaning we all uh, are participating in the life of the church to the fullest extent possible. And then out of those two things flows your mission and the Lord's mission. And that's how, I, that's what I think is so beautiful about the theme of the Senate. Yes, yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'd like to spend also some time um, in talking about particularly the ministry of families. Mm -hmm. Um, to be this visible light, right? Because it's um, obviously everybody 
um, is their first encounter, right, with the Lord generally happens within the context of the love experienced in a family. We know that families have been under tremendous stress in this culture. We know the pandemic in some ways has exacerbated some of those stressors mm -hmm. within family life and that today part of the reality is that families look so different one from another. And yet it seems to me that your hope for this is that families really feel um, the, the, the graces that can flow from this renewed commitment mm -hmm. um, to, to creating these kinds of communities. And so could you talk a little bit about a little more about that in terms of the importance of us ministering to our families, of helping our families grow um, in their understanding of who they are as a domestic church. But then what's, what kind of support are you hoping, I guess not only from the parish, but from the new institute that will be of service mm -hmm. um, sure. to the parish and the pastoral staffs? It's a really great big question. <laughs> it is. But I think that, um, I think we have to work a lot harder to help people get ready to be married. Um, I was said to a seminarian, a great guy just yesterday, I said, you know, you have, are going through an eight year preparatory period to be a priest. I said most couples, if we're lucky, go through six months. Mm -hmm. And they are supposed to be living the rest of their lives together and that vocation is probably more challenging. We owe them a lot more. And uh, I think those are things we learn how to do better as we listen to the experiences of people and know the people who come to us for formation. Programs are good, mm -hmm. but I think there has to be a lot of individual attention and it doesn't all fall on the shoulders of the pastor. There should be wonderful mentoring couples. Pope always talks about accompaniment. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure I'm exactly the right one uh, to accompany uh, a married couple in every decision they're going to make. But boy, you have a couple that's loving and good and healthy and happy and have encountered Christ in a beautiful way, they're in a position to help that couple get ready for marriage and to look in on them, you know, a year later, mm -hmm. two years later, especially that five-year mark. I think that's a biggie. That's kind of what I mean. It, it, it's such a beautiful example, in a, in a sense, a microcosm of what we're hoping this renewal looks like, right? Both the commitment to a company a couple mm -hmm. to know that you have to spend time in conversation. They can't move through three sessions and be prepared for something that's forever. But then the co-responsibility of married couples who can serve as, as mentors. Mm -hmm. I, I remember as part of a marriage prep, one young couple actually asked the question, they said, does the church really mean forever when it says you're married forever? I mean, mm -hmm. just starting there, right? This idea yeah. that what, it's forever. What, what does forever look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if it looks anything like my 44 years in the priesthood, it's, it's pretty quick. <laughs> yes. yeah. Moving um, beyond the, the family to the larger community, we have such a moment to really be this visible light in the community because we know our communities are struggling just as our 
families are. And particularly within the church, the, the need to continue to address racism in the way that it's, it's um, manifesting itself um, within our local community. With the increasing cultural diversity of many of our parishes, on the one hand it's beautiful, we're beginning to look like the face of a universal church, mm -hmm. but we know that um, welcoming those who may seem like the stranger, um, the, the one place the church really could be that light shining brightly, um, manifesting, right? Um, Christ's love is being protagonists in addressing some of these um, concerns that have been deep rooted. And I think in some ways, the church has been at the forefront sometimes of addressing mm -hmm. the continuing impact, right, of racism, of being the first to welcome newcomers into the community. But how do you see the challenge, particularly in the archdiocese, mm -hmm. um, in, in being able to create these centers that mm -hmm. are um, ready and, and prepared? Yeah. Uh, I think, beginning with, we're the oldest archdiocese in the United States, mm -hmm. go back to 1789. And our roots um, go back to St. Clement's Island in 1634. Mm -hmm. Um, racism, slavery has, has been intertwined with the church's history mm -hmm. in ways that um, we, we should all be contrite about and resolved uh, to address honestly and resolved to, um, to do better as we go forward. Um, I've written two pastoral letters on racism, one on Martin Luther King's Jr.'s Enduring Legacy, the other called Journey to Racial Justice. And we have a process going on in the Archdiocese where we're in, um, helping parish communities in a kind of synodal way mm -hmm. uh, to address the issue of racism. Um, but once again, not simply from the point of view of the New York Times 1619 project, mm -hmm. but rather from, from, through, from the point of view, first of all, that every person has transcendent value and inalienable dignity. Um, secondly, uh, the point of view that um, culture and the diversity of culture and the diversity of race is, is part of God's plan and part of God's gift that we respect and that we have not respected it many times in the past and in the present. And thirdly, uh, that the church should be a unity and diversity. Mm -hmm. Our unity is Christ who is truly all things to all people but we are diverse. It's like the Trinity. There's mm -hmm. one God but three persons. And, and we should be able to model that. Are we there yet? No, we're not there. We have to truly be able uh, to welcome in our hearts and into the heart of our parish families and into the heart of our homes, everyone, mm -hmm. everyone. It's a really tall order. It's a real tall order. With regard to polarization, um, 
we have a problem in the church and that many people think the church is hateful mm -hmm. and not merciful and it's just going to make their situation more miserable uh, because sometimes the Pope talks about uh, being an evangelii gaudium, about being overly moralistic when we preach. So easy to read a gospel and say, okay, now here's the moral of the story. Mm -hmm. When in fact every gospel is an invitation uh, to mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and unbounded love. And in that unbounded love, we discover and embrace the truth. Mm -hmm. It's not devoid of truth. And it might cause us to change our, our minds about some things that are countercultural. But it isn't bone on bone. There's a lot of cartilage in there. <laughs> and I, I think that's, that's the, what we should be able to do as a community founded on the newness that is Christ is to model for society how we come together and are able to bridge our differences and to find uh, in the Lord and in the faith true common ground. And um, one of our problems right now is that many uh, of, of our fellow Catholics get their news about the church, not from the church, but from other sources. And I'm not against the media, but I would say that at a minimum, they're not getting the full picture. I think this idea of modeling is, is such an opportunity to be present in the neighborhood. And as you say, to bring people together who, if they believe in the Lord already, they have the most important thing in their lives that they hold in common. Mm -hmm. And so from there, how do we get at the, that, that need for reconciliation and for healing? The, the church has all the tools by nature of who she is. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I do feel like it's a moment where we could really be prophetic um, in terms of what a community can be. Yeah. Um, I'd like to also ask you to talk a little bit more about a hospitality and the place of hospitality in the community, because mm -hmm. I think this is another, another authentically Christian expression of mm -hmm. the Lord's love, something the Lord himself um, really highlighted as so yeah. critical to the way that we build communities. So how, how does this commitment to hospitality enable us to, to really have um, doors that are opened and sanctuaries that are welcoming to those who come? Yeah. You know, um, the Lord um, himself talked about hospitality, mm -hmm. whether it was with um, Martha and Mary mm -hmm. or whether it was with Simon the disciple who failed to wash his feet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Lord in his humanity taught us the value of hospitality mm -hmm. and, and receive any, because he went to people's homes to dine. Um, when people come to a parish community, you know, even without words, even without, they can tell if it's a welcoming community or if it's a closed mm -hmm. circle. Uh, if it's, you know, a community of folks who are pretty convinced 
they got the secret sauce. And unless you think like them and you're right with them, you don't have a place in that community. Mm -hmm. Or people who are disgruntled and, and you know, don't really care if anybody joins them or not, or apathetic. Mm -hmm. Versus a community where you go in and you are greeted warmly. Mm -hmm. And the, the um, warmth is not just window dressing, but it is the lead in to an experience of worship um, where um, everyone is, where the Lord is embracing everyone and everyone is embracing the Lord and in the Lord one another. Um, that's kind of what hospitality, and hospitality mm -hmm. extends beyond that. Um, during COVID, for example, one of my big suggestions was, it wasn't mine, I'd make this up, but <laughs> some great practice and I passed it on, which is, what about the people who aren't coming anymore? Mm -hmm. What about the people you see at Christmas and Easter? Um, what do we do in between times? Hospitality would suggest not only being friendly when they show up, but extending the invitation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, uh, in spite of what we might be doing, coffee and donuts, great, um, don't feel welcome. And we don't even know they don't feel welcome till we call them up. So, great thing going on in the Archdiocese at St. Alphonsus Rodriguez Parish. And um, it's called Operation Boots on the Ground. And during the pandemic, a group of volunteers with good formation went out and visited every parishioner and knocked on every door, invited everyone, including folks that might be profoundly alienated and as I've always said, you're going to get an earful when you do that. <laughs> but hospitality means actively inviting, mm -hmm. actively reaching out, not just saying, well, we haven't seen the X number of families for the last year and a half, um, so we just take them off our rolls. Or if someone is missing, I think what a Perry staff can do, pastor can't do all this, I could never do this, but, um, but to say, but to be at the masses on Sunday and see who you see, who you don't see, who do you start missing. Um, one person said he left his parish, he and his wife had been there forever, they went to another parish. Mm -hmm. No one from the first parish ever called to say, gosh, we're missing you. Right. Or no one calls up to say, anything we need to know. Mm -hmm. Anything, and you might not like what you hear. God knows when I ask that question, I usually hear something I don't want to hear. But we got to ask the question. Yeah, yeah. That's what hospitality means to me. Yes, I think, I think so. And I, I both that emphasis on the going out and welcoming. I was not long ago walking home from the farmer's market and we were walking by a building that was a brick building with stained glass windows and a steeple and a cross. And a woman said to her friend, what's that building over there? 
Mm -hmm. And I thought, she can't be serious. And he said, it's a church. And then she said, does anyone go? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, actually, I do see people there on Sunday. And that was such a reminder to me, right, mm -hmm. of that need to, to go out <laughs> because people don't necessarily think that there's, they need the church in, in their life. But then once we make that invitation to, to your point, what's the environment to which they're coming in? Yeah. And is it prepared to be welcoming? And, and sometimes um, hospitality takes the form of inviting people into what uh, one, I think Archbishop Burns and uh, Guam said, to the shallow end of the pool. Mm. You know, <laughs> to say, well, image. Come with us, you know, to the solemn mass that the Archbishop is celebrating. I'd love to see you. But sometimes, especially with the young, if, if we have a group of missionaries here at the Basilica, the young people, right. volunteers, they go out in the street and meet the homeless. Mm -hmm. um, join them. Join a group like that. Charity is such a huge bridge. Everyone understands, most people understand, the beauty of charity. Mm -hmm. Great way. Knights of Columbus, first principle, charity. Um, invite men who are somewhat churched, uh, maybe churched but not engaged, maybe even a few unchurched guys and mm -hmm. say, Join us, we're gonna rebuild a house over here, or we're gonna give coats to kids. Mm -hmm. um, people then begin to ask, what kind of a community is this really? Yeah. Is this that mean old bunch of curmudgeons I thought it was? Right. Or is this something doing immense mm -hmm. good? I mean, we are, by the way, the largest source of charitable social services anywhere in this community, right. save except the huge government programs. And, and I do think that's something that people greatly respect, no matter what else they think about um, what we may teach or, or how we may live our lives. So it remains, right, a great point of invitation. Yeah. Archbishop Lurie, we have talked about a lot of different yeah. ideas, but ultimately what you're inviting people to is to really um, change the, the culture Right to to discern what it means to be a light made visible, and so this is not something that's going to be complete in six months or a year or even if five years. But mm -hmm. what what are some signs of fruitfulness that mm -hmm. that you would like to see as as parishes begin to engage with the institute and begin to do this work and mm -hmm. and discover where the Lord may be calling them? What what signs of fruitfulness are you hoping? Well, one, one sign is that in a, any given parish, sometimes they don't have much money and they're volunteers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have a large paid staff. But to find um, in the heart of a parish uh, an apostolic engine, mm -hmm. a, a, a group that no silos, mm -hmm. no competitiveness, no rivalries, or, or, mm. or, but, but a team. Mm. A team focused on the Lord and therefore on mission, uh, led by a pastor who understands that uh, these folks are indeed extending his ministry and extending my ministry, by the way. That's one sign. And you, when you, 
You know it when you see mm -hmm. it. And it's a beautiful thing to see it. Secondly, joy. Mm. Pope everything, everything the Pope talks about, even some documents don't, don't strike me as particularly joyful, all have joy in the title. But that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I think when you're in a community that is joyful, you know evangelization mm -hmm. is going on there. Doesn't mean there's not a few disagreements or a few disgruntled people. You know, we're still on this side of heaven, so that's gonna always be the case. But joy. Um, I think a sense of communion, a sense of unitedness. And the parish is not an isolationist parish, mm -hmm. but a sense of communion with the larger church and even with me, God help us. Hugely important. That's a sign. The fact that you have people wanting to participate in the life of the church. And that, you know, it's not a numbers game. But if you have empty pews on Sunday, we got, we got work to do. Mm -hmm. We got work to do. And so I think participation in the life of the church, the sacramental life, mm -hmm. the catechetical life, just as we've been talking. Mm -hmm. And then finally, a place that, um, that's on mission. And, and, and it's talking not about, well, we're doing this program or that program, but we're doing the mission. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you look for. And when you see it, when you, you, you know it's there. You just know it's there. And when you talk to people mm -hmm. and you can tell, I'm a, a person in yesterday from a, one of our places. That's what he began with. How his relationship with Christ changed. That's the fruit you're looking for, the good fruit. Amen. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Smile. And yeah. thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Yes. And thanks to all my good co workers who are listening to this. I know they're striving to do all the things we've talked about today, but. It might be helpful to hear the old guy talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, and just the breadth, right, of opportunity and possibility. And yeah. that ultimately the Lord will lead our pastoral workers where they need to be. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. This has been a production of the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Institute for Evangelization. To learn more, visit www.archbalt.org backslash evangelization. Again, that's www.archbalt.org backslash evangelization.